Welcome to the Darren Sargent Show. I'm your host, Darren Sargent. This is where you get life advice from a single-handed perspective. Thank you for joining us today. We are in the middle of our series on this single choice. Launching an episode, releasing an episode every day this week about this single choice. This is the third installment. If you haven't listened to the first two that we begin, go back. Episode 10, episode 11. Today it's episode 12 as we continue to discuss this single choice. At the beginning of our time together in this series, we talked about how our attitude is an inward feeling that is expressed by an outward behavior. Now, I grew up skiing in the hills or the mountains of Idaho, and I saw a sign in a ski lodge one day that said, the man who can make me angry can kill me. Kind of always stuck with me, kept it back in the recesses of my mind. Today, I want to go just a little bit further in our discussion about attitude because I believe our attitude determines not only our attainments, as we talked about yesterday, but it also determines our emotional health. The American Association of Psychiatry states that one in every four Americans is not emotionally well. So if you get in a group of four and the other three look all right, (laughs) it might be you. I meet people all the time that have short-circuited their futures by having a negative attitude toward life in general. Their attitude cripples their forward progress. Now, I want to just kind of talk to you out of my heart today because I see so many people that have such a negative outlook on their lives, their futures, all that they are, and it bothers me. You weren't created to be a monument. In other words, you weren't created just to stand still in life. You were created to move forward. You are a force to move outward from yourself into the life that God has planned for you. It is your attitude that pushes you in the right direction. And if you can get your attitude right, I believe nothing can stop you. I remember as a child, my parents put me in a swim class. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how is Darren going to swim? He's just going to swim in circles. You get it, right? Anyways, if you don't, don't worry about it. But I remember going into that class and loving the water. In fact, I was one of only two students that actually advanced into the next swim class. I Man, I was, I was like a fish in water. I loved it. But I had set my attitude, which, of course, had been established in me and placed in me by my parents, that said, you know what? I'm going to do this. And when your attitude is set correct, nothing can stop you. 
Now, if you tend to focus on what you cannot do or what you don't have, you're not going to achieve much in life. Don't spend the majority of your life thinking, I can't. Get that out of your mind. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. Because your attitude shapes your emotions. Some people never crawl out of the ditch that their attitude has placed them in. I read a story not too long ago that I want to share with you. In fact, I put this in my book, The Handbook, Five Forces to Form Your Future. You can get that uh, go in the show notes, and you can purchase it, the ebook version right now. We're out of print, going back to print, getting some new things added to the book. But you still still can get uh, the ebook, the handbook, Five Forces to Form Your Future. And in it, I tell this story, and I thought I would relate it in this podcast. It's a story written by a guy by the name of Philip Childs. It's called The I Can't Funeral. If you read this, this is a powerful story. Donna's fourth grade classroom looked like many other others I had seen in the past. Students sat in five rows of six desks. The teacher's desk was in the front and faced the students. The bulletin board featured all the students' work. In most respects, it appeared to be a typically traditional elementary classroom. Yet something seemed different that day I entered it for the first time. There seemed to be an undercurrent of excitement. Donna was a veteran small-town Michigan school teacher only two years away from retirement. In addition, she was a volunteer participant in a countrywide staff development project I had organized and facilitated. The training focused on language arts, ideas that would empower students to feel good about themselves and to take charge of their lives. Donna's job was to attend training sessions and implement the concepts being presented. My job was to make classroom visitations and encourage implementation. I took an empty seat in the back of the room and watched. All the students were working on a task, filling a sheet of notebook paper with thoughts and ideas. The 10-year-old student closest to me was filling her page with, I can'ts. I can't kick the soccer ball past second base. I can't do long division with more than three numerals. I can't get Debbie to like me. Her page was half full and she showed no signs of letting up. She worked on and on with determination and persistence. I I walked down the row glancing at students' papers. Everyone was writing sentences describing things they couldn't do. I can't do 10 push-ups. I probably could have wrote that one. Never mind. I can't hit over the left field fence. I can't hit eat only one cookie. Uh, that, that's, I wrote that. By the time, Philip goes on, by this time, the activity engaged my curiosity, so I decided to check with the teacher to see what was going on. As I approached her, I noticed that she too was busy writing. I felt it best not to interrupt. I can't get John's mother to come in for a teacher conference. I can't get my daughter to put gas in the car. I can't get Alan to use words instead of fists. Thwarted in my efforts to determine why students and teacher were dwelling on the negative instead of writing the more positive I can statements, I returned to my seat and just continued my observations. Students wrote for another 10 minutes at least. Most filled their page. Some started another. Then the teacher spoke and said, finish the one you're on and don't start a new one. The instructions from the teacher was used to signal the end of the activity. The students were then instructed to fold their papers in half and bring them to the front. 
When students reached the teacher's desk, they placed their I can't statements into an empty shoebox. When all of the students' papers were collected, Donna added hers. She put the lid on the box, tucked it under her arm, headed out the the door and down the hall. Students followed the teacher, and I followed the students. Halfway down the hall, the procession stopped. Donna entered the custodian's room, rummaged around, and came out with a shovel. Shovel in one hand, shoebox in the other. Donna marched the students out of the school to the farthest, farthest corner of the playground. There they began to dig. They were going to bury their icants. The digging took over 10 minutes because most of the fourth graders wanted to turn in digging the hole. And when the hole approached three feet deep, the digging stopped. The box of icants was placed in position at the bottom of the hole and quickly covered with dirt. 31 10 and 11 year olds stood around the freshly dug gravesite. Each had at least one full page of I can'ts in that shoebox, four feet under. So did their teacher. At this point, Donna announced, Boys and girls, please join hands and bow your heads. The students complied. They quickly formed a circle around the grave, creating a bond with their hands. They lowered their heads and waited, and Donna delivered the eulogy. Friends, We gather today to honor the memory of I can't. While he was with us on earth, he touched the lives of everyone, some more than others. His name, unfortunately, has been spoken in every public building, schools, city halls, state capitals, and yes, even the White House. We have provided I can't with a final resting place and a headstone that contains his epitaph. He is survived by his brothers and sister, I can, I will, and I'm going to right away. Now, they are not as well known as their famous relative and are certainly not as strong and powerful yet. Perhaps someday, with your help, they will make an even bigger mark on this world. May I can't rest in peace, and may everyone present pick up their lives and move forward in his absence. Amen. As I listen to the eulogy, I realize that these students would never forget this day. The activity was symbolic, a metaphor for life. It was a right brain experience that would stick in the unconscious and conscious mind forever. Writing I can'ts, burying them, and hearing the eulogy, that was a major effort on the part of this teacher, and she wasn't done yet. At the conclusion of the eulogy, she turned the students around, marched them back into the classroom, and held a wake. They celebrated the passing of I can't with cookies, popcorn, and fruit juices. As part of the celebration, Donna cut out a large tombstone from butcher paper. She wrote the words I can't at the top and put R-I-P in the middle. Rest in peace. The date was added at the bottom. The paper tombstone hung in Donna's classroom for the remainder of the year. On those rare occasions when a student forgot and said I can't, Donna simply pointed to the rest in peace sign. The student then remembered that I can't was dead and chose to rephrase the statement. Now, I wasn't one of Donna's students. She was one of mine. Yet that day, I learned an enduring lesson from her. Now, years later, whenever I hear the phrase I can't, I see images of that fourth grade funeral. Like the students, I remember that I can't is dead. Wow. That's a pretty awesome story. It's very, very thought-provoking. Now, 
I trust that it inspires you to think a little bit more about what you are letting hold you back in your life. There comes a point in your journey through life that you have to get I can't out of your vocabulary and move on because it begins to affect your emotions. It has to begin with your attitude that you set when you get up in the morning. Now, I love baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. And when I was younger, it was all that I thought about. I played Little League and quickly learned the importance of attitude. I refused to walk out onto the field with an attitude that reeked of failure. I decided I was going to be a pitcher, and I set my attitude to be the best 10, 11, 12-year-old pitcher the world had ever seen. Now, I'm not sure I ever achieved that status, but one thing I did achieve was the fact that I learned to adjust my attitude to compensate for my lack of having two hands. Attitude definitely determines your direction. It determines your emotional outlook on life. And if you can focus on aligning your attitude correctly, I believe you can absolutely overcome anything. Attitude is everything. And attitude is a choice. The single choice that makes a huge difference in your life. Thank you for joining us today on this third installment of this single choice. A series in the Darren Sargent Show. Hey, let me remind you, if you'd like to purchase my book, The Handbook, Five Forces to Form Your Future, if you work with students, if you work with young adults, it's a great resource, along with the Beaptitudes, five life apps every student needs. Pick them up. The link is in my show notes. Or you can go to darrensargent.com. Click on the resources. You can find some other things that I have there. Some free, some that you have to pay for. Hey, a guy's got to do what a guy's got to do. Thanks for listening. As always, comment, like, share, rate, review. Tell people what's going on at the Darren Sargent Show. Thanks for joining.